Going Linux, episode 274, Listener Feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just think about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and its applications and using them to get things done. In today's episode, listener feedback. If you want to send us feedback, our email is goinglinux at gmail.com and our voicemail is 1-904-468-7889. Welcome back to another episode, Bill. How are things going for you? Going well, going well. I, uh... I was uh, reading the news on Google News, of course, and uh, this guy says 10 things that Windows users can do that Linux users can't. And I'm like, oh, I want to see this. This should be interesting, yeah. So I thought, okay, first one was can't run Adobe Photoshop, okay. Can't run Adobe Premiere, okay. Those are two legitimate uh, things, okay. And then the funniest one was can't run Internet Explorer. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting there going, um, okay, Microsoft doesn't even like Internet Explorer. Some of the things you come up with, you know, serious gaming and stuff like that, mm-hmm. well, some of, most of that's dealt with because the studios don't code it for Linux. It's not Linux's fault. Right. But when I saw can't run Internet Explorer, I'm like, why would we want to? We have Firefox, we have Chrome, we have Opera, we have... Uh, three or four other ones that are in repositories, why would we want one of the most exploited (laughs) browsers out there that Microsoft is getting ready to get rid of in Windows 10? The guy was really trying to find stuff. Yeah, it's a bit of a stretch. Was this somebody from Microsoft or was this, um, you know... Uh, PC Magazine's um, writers. Oh, okay. All right. So they were stretching to try to get something for a story is basically what it was. Of course, you know, they do say, well, they also have GIMP, but, you know, it's not as easy to use and stuff. We do have tools that can do some of what Photoshop does. You know, we have what? We have Blender. We have Inkscape. We have uh, GIMP. We have Shotwell that can do some picture processing. So, I mean, we do have tools. Oh, yeah. It was just it was just funny, and when he says you, know, you can't run an explorer, and I'm like, hmm, okay, that's probably a plus. Because <laughs> I mean, even though on my Windows machines I don't run Internet Explorer because you know all the problems it has. So, well, yeah, and even even if you take the problems of Internet Explorer away. Um, the days of having websites that only run Internet Explorer are pretty much gone. I mean, that was a Internet Explorer version 6 uh, that, uh, again, is no longer supported by Microsoft issue. Uh, and I suppose there are probably some government sites or other sites for proprietary applications that must be run on IE6, but I would hope that those would be long gone very shortly. Uh, it's they, they shouldn't be around. And if your company is using those, um, I don't know if you have any influence on it, but tell them that they're using a an unsupported, security hole ridden uh, browser for 
a critical business application. Yeah. I, I'd have serious doubts about your IT folks if you're still <laughs> using that stuff. Well, there's some, some of the hospitals are still using Windows XP, so come on. But anyway, that was the best you could come up with, you know. So I just like, uh, well, I wouldn't run it even on Windows. I mean, I, I run Chrome and Opera, and you, what, you, I think you run Chrome exclusively? Yeah, mainly because of the compatibility from operating system to operating system, sharing bookmarks, sharing capabilities. I've got a Chromecast, and, you know, you can broadcast from Chrome on any operating system to the Chromecast. So, yeah, it's just... I found something that works on everything that I use, so I'm sticking with it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into our emails. Okay. We certainly have a lot of them, and we have one voicemail as well. We're going to actually cover an email before the voicemails. We usually have voicemails right up front, but Jim sent us an email that sets up the voicemail. So let's uh, read Jim's email and my response by email back to Jim and then his voicemail. So we've got kind of a three-part thing here with Jim. So let me start and we'll split this up. This is a long email. Okay? All right. Okay. So Jim wrote, Bill, that was a timely review for me. I had installed Ubuntu Mate on one of my computers this week. I did it the long way, first installing Ubuntu 14.04, then installing Mate on the command line using the directions I found, I believe, on the Mate website. Your review started me thinking that there must be an easier way. I just finished reinstalling it using the Ubuntu Mate Live CD. The install went well. I set up three partitions a boot partition, a swap partition, and a home partition. The computer is a Dell Optiplex 755 desktop with the 3.13.0-39 generic Linux kernel. Uh, Mate version is 1.8.2. The RAM is 3.7 gigabytes, so it's got a good deal of RAM. It's a dual-core processor, Intel... CPU um, U6650, and it runs at 233 gigahertz, and it's got a one terabyte hard drive. I installed the 64-bit version and would like to know if there is a way that I can get Skype to work on this. I can only download the 32-bit version from Skype, which of course won't install. I use the computer mostly for streaming videos, as my other desktop is too slow for that. If there is no way to install Skype on the 64-bit version, would I have, in your and Larry's opinion, much of a loss of download speed using the 32-bit version? Why don't you pick it up from here, Bill? My other computer is a Acer Veriton. It currently is running with Point Linux, a derivative of Debian 2.3.1. It uses the GNOME 2 desktop. The kernel is 3.2-4-686. PAE, and the memory is 2 gigabytes. The processor is an Intel Atom CPU D425 and running at 1.80 gigahertz. It is 32-bit version so that I can have Skype. It is my primary telephone. It originally came pre-installed with Linux. The distro was Chinese and I had no way to upgrade or install software so I put Linux Mint on it. It worked well until around release number 13, 
since then the panel would not load on the live CD. I even installed it once that way. The panel didn't load on the install. I have tried Mate and Cinnamon with the same result. I tried Ubuntu Mate, both 32 and 64-bit versions, but they did not seem to load the panels either. So Ubuntu works just fine, and Ubuntu will install, but it is so sluggish that it is not usable. I pass along my experiences with Mate. I have been using it ever since it became available on Linux Mint. I prefer using Mate or GNOME 2 over the other desktops because they allow me to use the computer the way I want to. Till next time. Okay, and then I responded by email to Jim. Brief uh, email. I said, Hi Jim, regarding the Dell, the 32-bit version of Skype should run on any 64-bit machine. Here is a link to some instructions that might help, and we'll include that link in the show notes, of course. Regarding the Acer, the old graphics card may not be able to handle the Mate panels, though I would have thought that it would. The Mate panels don't require much horsepower, especially if you installed Ubuntu Mate rather than trying to install Ubuntu Unity and then install Mate as an add-on. If Ubuntu is working for you, I'd stick with it. Let us know how it goes. Thanks. Okay, and now we'll play Jim's voicemail response. Hi, Larry. This is Jim. I just received your email about the tip on installing Skype on 64-bit, and I just did it on uh, Ubuntu Mate, and it worked flawlessly, and Skype is working uh, for the first time since about Linux Mint 13. And previously, uh, Skype didn't have uh, sound on my computer, but now it does, so it, uh, it fixed that problem as well. Um, and the other thing is, uh, I think you misunderstood. I'm using Point Linux on my uh, Acer computer, not Zubuntu. Uh, and I may try this procedure to see if I can run uh, the 64-bit Point Linux on that and have Skype working as well. I'll let you know how that comes out. Anyway, thanks well, again thanks, for Jim, the for uh, that. link. And uh, I'm glad you got your Skype issues fixed. Yay! The, the link helped out. So thanks again yeah. for your feedback, and thanks for listening, of course. Yeah, thanks. Our next email is from Ben. Ben says, hello, this is a setup done quickly. I set up the base with desktop in 15 to 20 minutes with the ISO from evolutionlinux.com. Martin Wimpress is the chief dev for the Ubuntu Mate and a trusted Arch Linux maintainer. You read a letter from him this week. He maintains the Arch Mate project as well. I send these comments in hope that you will review Jeff's stories and Carl Duff's Evolution Linux project. It's a simple vanilla install under 20 minutes of Arch Linux. Jeff began the FURCH project, the FURCH project, and Carl Duff was the first lead dev for the Manjaro Openbox project, both Arch Linux users. Evolution Linux is not a distribution. A chief developer of Arch Linux, Daniel Eisenman, wrote the following regarding those who say using an install vehicle is not a real Arch install. And he includes a link to the article we'll include in the show notes. Uh, and he comments, he should know. 
Guys, your show is great. I have learned a lot from you, even though I have been Linuxing since Red Hat 2 days, then Slackware, then Ubuntu, until I found Canotix, which met my needs for many years. Last three years, I've been using Arch. I got and used the antecedent Furch installer and installed Linux. Then after that, I did command line installs. Many, many, many. And now I use Evo again for friends and family, mainly due to time constraints. Although when I am practiced, I can install Arch from Notes pretty rapidly. On my wife's computer, I use Mint Mate. Clem and Martin did this largely as top gunners, I think, so I don't have to maintain frequent updates. I like my Arch Linux boxes up to date as in daily. There are, by the way, great GUI updaters and installers if Pac-Man doesn't suit you. And a Pac-Man, which is needed to enable AUR and multi-libs repository on the pacman.com file, is super. It updates the Arch Linux main directories and the AUR so a user can have the latest of any Linux program. Thanks, Larry, for Solar. I had not known about it and use it when I am wanting to be lazy. By the way, just as an aside, Bill, Solar is that program that allows you to, with Logitech devices, use the little dongle that they have and um, set it up so that it will connect to a particular mouse or keyboard or whatever. It's only been available as a Windows utility from the Logitech people, but Solar with two A's, S-O-L-A-A-R, is the utility for Linux that does the same sort of thing. So Ben signs off. Take care, guys. Ben, by the way, Bill, my family from South Carolina is Calhoun. They were from Lansdowne Plantation. Ever heard of them? Hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, hey, it's a big state. Yeah. So do I hear that I have to look at another uh, Linux project? Uh, maybe so. He's asking us to do the uh, to do the review. So I know you're reviewing like ten now. So <laughs> it seems like ten. Yeah, it seems so, like it. Yeah, but uh, maybe Ben will get to that. Um, it's not one that's high on our list. It's not one that has a lot of popularity right now. But with folks like you uh, making people aware that it exists and that you're happy with it, maybe it'll become more popular and we can actually do a review. Yep. So hang in there, Ben. Yeah, I get a chance. I'll, I'll at least go and look at the website and see what it is. See if it's interesting. I mean, I've got a four machines. I've got to have a, a partition somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you can find space. <laughs> yeah, somewhere. Our next email comes from Michael, and he wrote, The internal CD-DVD drive from my laptop appears to have broken, as it won't read any discs at all after you hear the sound after the disc is inserted. So I am going to have to either have to purchase a new laptop or buy an external drive for reading and burning CDs and DVDs. I have just ordered a portable USB drive for it. As I had to press F7 followed quickly by 5 just as soon as starting the laptop to boot from the DVD, will the key sequence change with the external drive is connected, bypassing my faulty internal drive, or will adding a drive also change the boot sequence? My problem is that my barman, who altered the boot settings, has changed jobs, so no longer works here. 
Yeah, if you remember, Bill, uh, Michael is a blind computer user, and the barman he refers to is the uh, gentleman who set up his computer for yeah. him. So it sounds like he's lost that uh, person as a sighted resource to help him. Um, yeah, if you have an internal drive that's faulty and you've replaced it with an external drive, the boot sequence may change. You'll probably have to press F7, and you might need to change from a 5 to another number, depending on the failed drive, whether it is still recognized by your BIOS or not. Uh, you start with 5 and then try some of the other numbers to see if if you can boot from the external drive um, with those numbers. So the F7 is probably the key that gets you into the BIOS. Yeah, in, into the BIOS setting that allows you to change which device is going to boot. And the five that you've used in the past would have been the fifth entry in the list, which should have been your old DVD. And when it crapped out, what I don't know is, is it still there as the fifth it entry? probably is. Or is it because it's completely dead, maybe the BIOS doesn't even recognize that it's there? Well, he says that he can put a... DVD in in the tray and it and it spins up. So that tells sure. me that the computer still sees it. So it'll probably just add another thing to the BIOS. Yeah. So it may come up as number yeah. six or seven or something. They could like try that. number like uh, six and see if that would work. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the best bet. And so good luck with that. And hopefully you'll find somebody to help you out as well. Um, Michael, you might just see if there's a. Um, a Linux user group around that you could attend, and uh, they would uh, certainly be helpful if if you have such a group around. Yeah, they would. For you. Yep. Okay, our next email is from Sydney. I just listened to podcast number 272. I heard the discussion on the pronouncement of mate. So my question is, is it spelled M-A-T-E, or is it spelled M-A-T-E with an accent over the last E? If it's M-A-T-E with the accent, Larry, you are correct in your pronunciation. He's referring to the fact that I usually pronounce it mate. Uh, and if it's spelled M-A-T-E without the accent, Bill gets the gold star. Thanks for the great work you guys do. And remember, more is better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it is spelled M-A-T-E without the accent, but it is a non-English word. And in the language, and I forget what the language is, I apologize, but in the language that this word is derived from, it is pronounced mate. So in reality, you can probably pronounce it either way. And as you've noticed throughout this podcast, I've alternated back and forth between mate and mate. So I'm doing it both ways now. <laughs> and I always say mate. But, you know, then again, I am Larry's from California. I'm from South Carolina. Where, so we speak differently if you haven't figured that one out. Our next email comes from Paul. And he wrote, hi, Larry and Bill. Longtime listener, first time emailing you. I listen to your podcast while I'm at work wearing earbuds. But the last few shows, Bill's audio has been way lower than yours, so I adjust the volume to Bill's voice, but when you talk, it is way too loud. Is there any chance of checking the levels before you make the final MP3? My ears would love you. Thanks so much for a great and informative, informative show. Paul, South Australia. 
Paul, it's my fault. I'm the one having audio issues. <laughs> We're trying to figure it out. So it's not Larry. He has to do a lot of audio processing while I'm, I'm having noise, and then he has to make it sound better. So it's not his fault. It's mine. Yeah, and Bill, on this episode, you've changed headsets yet again, and you're recording on another machine. We've swapped out machines. We've swapped out headsets. We've swapped out cables. We're at a loss as to what's causing this hum that I have to process Bill's audio with to, to remove. And uh, we apologize for the difference in the audio level. We're working it out. We're trying a bunch of different things, and we'll see what happens. And if worse comes to worst, I know the recording on Skype, which I didn't do in the last couple of episodes, I didn't use the Skype recorder. Uh, I, I know the Skype recorder that that I'm using actually records Bill's audio without as much noise. So I might just use that if the direct file from Bill doesn't work again this time. But uh, hopefully we'll be able to resolve that and uh, we'll have a nice, clean audio signal from Bill that I don't have to spend a lot of time removing noise from and, and you know, causing the mismatch in the audio level. So I apologize for that. It's my fault, so just blame me. Okay, we have one final thing in our list, Bill. It's a Gone Linux story from Frank. All right. Okay, and again, we'll alternate because of the length of this. Frank writes, hello, Larry. Hello, Bill. Larry, your kind feedback to my donation and, of course, your helpful, valuable, and very enjoyable show make me very happy. I already sent this reply on October 2nd of 2014. I suppose it got lost somehow. That's why I sent it again with some additions and modifications. My Gone Linux story. And, Frank, we apologize if we didn't read this. I didn't see it in my email list so i think it might have gotten lost at any rate we're making amends now and we'll read your gone linux story it's my fault uh, <laughs> uh here we go i have been using linux since march 2014 it was my third attempt to switch to linux my first try was about 20 years ago with OpenSUSE, riser format yast and so on it was installed on my very first pc during a linux party at my student hostel by some kind of enthusiastic computer geeks. This and the second attempt failed due to missing drivers, problems with orienting in, and managing of the system without using the command line. This seemed too difficult and too strange for me at the time, and some frustration about missing or poor success using software. I also got the impression that the programs had a poor look and feel and seemed to have only a few functions and seemed hard to handle for me. For example, GIMP had these awful menus where the submenus were staggered diagonally and a little bit lower than the main menu, which led to losing the focus many, many times. And I had all these little windows flying around everywhere. OpenOffice Writer had serious problems to manage the formatting of Microsoft Word. So I stayed with Windows till Windows XP. I didn't have big problems with it. I loved to use Visual Basic. In the beginning, I was mostly self-educated and could create many helpful macros in Microsoft Office, especially Access. It is great software for unprofessional programmers. 
I think you mean non-professional programmers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, unprofessional in this case would have a negative connotation, which I don't think you you mean. Anyway, continuing on. Microsoft did and does a good job, but has a lot of limitations and security and privacy problems too. I think many people struggle with Linux while testing it for the first time because of the harsh driver discrimination of hardware companies. The neglect of service providers, for example, I couldn't run this, the update software for my GPS device, even with Wine. Innocent Windows users have difficulty trying and failing to open a DocX with LibreOffice, and so on. But that's not the fault of Linux. But I have the feeling that these problems have become fewer over time. This year I started the third try with Ubuntu. I was impressed by the easy installation and the fine look and feel, but didn't like Unity menu very much. I, w I want an overview of my available programs. Often it wasn't clear with Unity how it was supposed to work, examples being able to find menu items just by typing the name of the function. After struggling with an unpleasant workaround, I tried to use Kubuntu, but was frustrated because installation repeatedly didn't work out. The system seemed to freeze sometimes, and after losing the main menu of the desktop by designing my own style, by default, all widgets of the KDE desktop are not fixed and locked. I gave up. I was very sad because I really like the look and feel of KDE and love to adjust everything I want. Later on, I was very irritated finding out that Ubuntu sends information about my user behavior to Canonical, and then they provide it to Amazon, and he provides a link to a YouTube video. This is the opposite of my understanding of Linux as a trustful and private system. Canonical should mention this explicitly before installation. And then he writes, But then I discovered Linux Mint 16 Mate and fell in love with it from the very first moment. Everything worked out fine, fast, and smoothly, of course, until I destroyed the system by playing around with features and deleting and deinstalling important parts of the system. The more you use it, the more you play with it, the more mistakes you make, and the more you learn by fixing them. But even then, it took just half an hour or even less to reinstall everything. Finally, with Linux Mint 17 Kiana, I successfully switched to the KDE desktop. Now I can do almost anything with Linux or free software I was able to do with Windows and even more. I still prefer a graphical user interface and mouse management, but don't fear or hesitate to use a command line if handy or necessary. I also love to poke around in the depth of the system, customizing boot and login screens and so on. The more you use the system, the more you break. The more you break, the more you learn. The more you have learned, the easier, faster, and more effective you use the system. I want to learn Python or OpenOffice Basic in order to write micros for LibreOffice. But this still seems to be very challenging to me. The macro recorder isn't much help. OpenOffice Basic seems to me much more complicated and less handy. Until today, I find it hard to use LibreOffice Base. I can't do much more than create tables. I don't want to use the wizard where most of the descriptions I found ends, but to do and understand it myself there seems to be no good alternative to open slash LibreOffice in the Linux world. It is so hard to find advanced information about LibreOffice Base. 
do you have any recommendations? I would prefer real books rather than digital formats. I own books to learn Python and am planning to use SQLite as a database backend. Could you suggest any software snippets of open software which I could use as an example? I love the current GIMP version. There are so many helpful mini desktop widgets for KDE. I am so glad that I found an equivalent Linux software for absolute every software I use to use under Windows and even more. So Frank continues, here is some Linux software I want to recommend. Veracrypt. I heard about this not long ago, Bill. Uh, Veracrypt is at veracrypt.codeplex.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. And it is the um, fork of TrueCrypt for oh. full disk encryption. Interesting stuff. Uh, then Frank also recommends FreeMind, a good mind mapper. Can also be installed under Windows. Redshift. Essentially, this application will, as it gets darker outside, alter your computer's display and give everything a red tinge. There's a reason for that. The type of lighting that is surrounding you changes as it gets darker outside. Sunlight is very white, but artificial light tends to be more red. As such, if you read something on a piece of paper, it will look white to your eyes during the day and reddish at night. And he provides a link to a make use of article that talks about Redshift. So uh, there you go. Um, there's a little bit more to Frank's email. Why don't you pick that up, Bill? While looking for a good Linux podcast, I checked a lot, but only your podcast seemed to be valuable to, for me. Very much to the point, so I can use all your shows as a source of support anytime. Very informative, especially for new users of Linux. Very high sound quality and very pleasant to listen to your fine English, especially as a non-native speaker who can hardly understand American dialects, idioms, and slang. Bill's English, though, is more for the advanced non-native listeners. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it, I guess. <laughs> That's called a Southern. Sorry. Uh, you, no, no. I like I like uh, Frank's idea. It's for the advanced non-native listeners. Ah, okay. It is easy to understand for everyone from little to slightly advanced technological knowledge. You explain technical terms and functions very vividly and carefully great website which can be used as an archive of knowledge it is full of enthusiasm nice sense of humor and respectful attitude to your former co-host tom what a pity that he is no longer on the show and respectful attitude to guests and listeners even critical listeners he continues i have now listened to all of your shows except some computer america shows which are sometimes not so much to the point and irritating with all the commercial breaks mm -hmm. <laughs> at the same time i accept that they have to have some to finance their work i appreciate that you cut them out but still beginning from the very first show i have started to listen to all your older shows it is great to learn about linux while driving to work from my experience it is very helpful to have someone who introduces you to a new operating system and software i don't have anybody nearby who is as experienced in linux so having your show gives me the feeling that i have a good friend nearby who kindly accompanies me stepping deeper into the linux world and he writes here are some show topic suggestions 
all about repositories, who invented them, how is software selected to be set in these, why is it secure, what kinds of repositories do exist, which ones shouldn't a user choose, how do they finance the service, and then guides. How about philosophies behind desktops and distributions? How do they differ? What were the reasons they were created? Describe for new users what it was created for, the advantages and disadvantages of each. Linux community, how they work, how someone can contribute. Is there any code of conduct? So this email has become very long. Feel free to mention interesting parts in one of your listener feedback shows, as well as correcting my English in case I didn't write it in proper English. I hope my written English was good to understand. If not, just give me a short reply and I will try to explain what I intended to say for now. Thank you so much for your enthusiastic, persistent, and high-quality work, even after so many shows. I am very grateful for your precious service. Best regards, Frank. Well, thanks, Frank. Thanks, Frank. And uh, you've got uh, you've contributed a lot to this listener feedback episode, from topic suggestions to software applications to uh, just your experience in beginning to use Linux and your experience over the years. So thanks very much. Yeah, thanks a lot. Okay, Bill, that wraps things up. Uh, we don't have a specific topic yet for our next episode. We will certainly have that by the time we start recording. If we don't, we probably won't start recording. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll figure that out as time goes on, and we'll have something juicy. Maybe we'll pick one of Frank's topics. How's that? Yeah, well, that's what you get for going on vacation. Yeah, I know. That happens. <laughs> Until then, go to our website at goinglinks.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. If you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. Music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.